Thank you for joining us today at Our Savior's Church, where we are one church meeting in six different locations. We hope that today's message encourages and empowers you on your spiritual journey and helps you grow deeper in your relationship with God. To learn more about Our Savior's Church or how you can get involved, you can visit us online at OurSavior'sChurch.com. Well, good morning and happy Easter. Okay, let's try it on the count of three. Happy Easter. One, two, three. Now look over at someone beside you and say, that dress is so pretty. (laughs) Or you look amazing. Come on, some of you say it by faith, it's Easter. It's possible that a resurrection could happen between now and the Easter end of service. Well, welcome to the day that changed everything. The day that changed everything. As a matter of fact, every time you write a date down, every time you look at a calendar, it's because of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ that you actually know what day it is. Because 500 years after the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, they put two words that began for before he came and after he came, and the first letters were, which means not before COVID. Okay, that's another BC. That means before Christ. And the other one is AD, which means and then. Anti domino after the year of our Lord. So today, as we gather, I, I was reminded of that the other day. I'm, I'm, I went over to Dillard's to, to buy a jacket for, for Easter, and, and, and I'm, I'm getting ready to pay. and I open up my checkbook, and the lady, who's she's not young, she's probably 40-ish, looks at me and goes, wow, it's been a long, long time since I've seen a check. <laughs> and I just kind of stopped and looked at it and go, well, I, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of old school. I like to, you know, write checks and then register where I do. Anybody else do that besides me? Thank you for the four old people here with me. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> hey, and she goes, It's been a long time. The only person I know that writes checks is my mother, and she's 90. (laughs) That white woman said that to me. There was an African-American policeman beside me, and I said, could you arrest her? That's a verbal abuse towards a Mexican who is a preacher. That's a double minority. But the truth is, Jesus is known by many titles. Two that we know very well is that he's called King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Why the title? Why the exclusivity? There's been thousands of lords and kings throughout all of history. There's even been more gods and idols worshipped. In Hinduism, there's more than a million gods that you can worship or sacrifice to. So why should Jesus be called the King of Kings and... What makes him so different than Mohammed or Buddha or Confucius or the belief of Krishna, Hinduism, Sikhism, Shinto, or Baha'i, which are all the major religions of the world? Why Jesus? Why Christianity? The general thought of most people is whatever belief system you were raised with, that's what you ultimately become. If you were raised Baptist, you become. If you were raised Catholic, you become. Catholic, C-A-D-L-I-C, if you're Cajun. If you're raised Muslim, you become Muslim or Jew, you become Jews. Here's the general understanding of that. Well, here's what they're saying without saying it. 
There is no true God and there is no true religion. Somehow people think that all roads to spirituality lead to the same place. Is that true? I mean, if you want to go to California and you get on I-49, can you just start driving as far as you want and one day you'll end up in California? Because that's where you want to go? What people would never do when it comes to directions, they do all the time when it comes to their eternity. Isn't that amazing? So, why is Jesus the King of kings and the Lord of lords? And what qualifies him to be that? Today, I want to share with you a few undeniable truths that differentiate Jesus from every other religious leader in all of history. Here's the first one, his origin. Say that with me, his origin. How many of you want to go to heaven? Raise your hand. Where the rest of you going? Miss Mamie's in Dusan? I mean, where are you going? You got to love Miss Mamie's. I mean, where, where are, how many of you want to go to heaven when you die? Raise your hand. How many would like to go today? Raise your hand. That's what I thought. If you actually want to know something about heaven, don't accept my word as a, a pastor or a preacher. Go and type in in YouTube, Harvard neurologist dies and goes to heaven. And you'll get about six to ten stories, beginning with a Harvard neurologist named Evan Alexander, who actually was brain dead. He will show you on the screen. He was brain dead and what happened to him. And in each of these encounters where people come back to tell, they were asked at this moment, they were saying, hey, you're here in heaven, and they're talking about how wonderful it is, and they say, it's time for you to go back. And do you know what every one of them said? No. We, we don't want to go back. As a matter of fact, one person said it like this, there's no experience I've ever had being alive that was as good as being dead in heaven. But there is only one person who actually, his origin was heaven. And he chose to come to earth. That was Jesus, the Son of Man, who would become, or Jesus, the Son of God, who would become the Son of Man so you and I could become sons and daughters of God. He's the only one who ever came to live on earth whose origin actually began in heaven. And because of that, heaven can one day be our home too. Here's the second one, his birth. Say that with me, his birth. No one else in history has ever made the claim Jesus did that he was born of a Born of a virgin. Born of a virgin. I had a thought, an interesting thought. Many of you don't re realize, unless you know the Bible well, that that actually was a prophetic word spoken in Genesis chapter 2 or 3 when the snake deceived Eve. God said, you will crush his heel, but the seed of the woman will crush your head. Now, do we have any nurses here? Raise your hand. Okay, do we have anybody that's been to a walk-in clinic? Okay, good, all right, good. If you know anything about medicine, even if you've just been to a walk-in clinic, you know that the way a baby is conceived, it's the seed of a, a man that a woman receives, and from that, then ultimately a baby is conceived and ultimately born. But there is only one 
child that ever came to earth that no man had any involvement at all. There's only one child that was born of a virgin in spite of what your cousin from Bro Bridge said. I don't know how I got pregnant. <laughs> and working with teenagers for 25 years, you know, you'd hear stories like, like you know, they'd walk in and they'd go, you're pregnant? They'd go, yeah. I go, how did it happen? They go, I don't know. So only one person actually was born of a virgin. It's the same one whose origin began in heaven. And that was? Now here's something I want you to think about. How many mamas do we have here? Raise your hand. Okay. How many of you hate to see your children suffer? Raise your hand. How many of you, even when you tell your husband to spank your children, it hurts you while they're getting spanked? Raise your hand. You remember that same line? You know, you go to get spanked and your daddy goes, this is going to hurt me more than it hurts you. You know what I always wanted to say? Well, then good. Give me the belt and you bend over. <laughs> we could solve that problem right now. Watch this. Jesus claimed to be the son of God born of a virgin. And because of that claim, he died the cruelest death known to humanity. Crucifixion. Crucifixion. Let me ask you something. If you were his mother and all you had to do was stand up and say he wasn't born of a virgin to see him escape that suffering, would you do it if it was true? Do you know who the last person was with Jesus at the cross? His mother, Mary. And if anybody would have known whether he was born of a virgin, it was her, his origin, his birth. Here's the third one, his power over death. He raised people from the dead while he was living. He raised Jairus, his daughter, from the dead. He was traveling with his disciples and a widow from a community called Nain came through and they were having a funeral procession. Jesus stopped the procession, prayed for the boy, and he was instantly brought back to life. And then, of course, his friend Lazarus. He was sick and word got to him to go and to pray for him. And Jesus delayed three days. And by the time he got there, he'd already been in the tomb for a few days, dead. And what did Jesus do? Raise him from the dead. Maybe this is why they stopped inviting Jesus to funerals. Here's the fourth reason. His ability to pay for our sins. Just as only one person came from heaven, just as only one person was born of a virgin, just as only one person proved he had power over death, who could pay for our sin but someone who had no sin himself? Who could pay for our sin but someone who had no sin himself? I can tell you, it doesn't matter. You can be here as an agnostic or an atheist, and you might be here today because you, you came for your mama. If you're here today because you came for your mama or your mama, let's give those people a hand. Thank you for coming for them. It proves you love them. Thank you. Men, you may have come here because your wife promised you something else. Different kind of Easter basket. I hope your dream comes true. <laughs> but whatever reason that you came,
came for, here's what all of us know, regardless of what you believe, all of us know we've done something wrong before. All of us know that we've sinned. As a matter of fact, years ago, a number of psychiatrists went to a Billy Graham crusade. And they were there to, to critique the crusade. And so they, they watched and they saw him preach from the Bible. And they said, well, we don't believe in the Bible. And they saw him say the words that Jesus said. Well, we don't believe that's true. And at the end, Jesus said, if you need forgiveness, come. Jesus has provided forgiveness for you. And the people came forward and all of them said the same thing. We don't agree with anything that he said, but every person needs to know they've been forgiven of the wrong that they've done. How do we know that? You ever tell a little child not to eat a piece of candy? How many have ever done that? And they go, okay. Like, like two years old, just like, and they go over to the candy jar and just go. While they're looking at you. How do they know they're doing wrong? Because God has written something in each of our heart. You know what it's called? A conscience. The word con means with. Chile con queso. I guess it's too close to lunchtime to be talking about Mexican food. <laughs> con means with, and science means to know. You've been given a conscience to know with by God. So innately, every one of us know we've done things that are wrong, regardless of your belief system. All of us know something is amiss in every one of us because we've all done wrong. Only one person came without sin, and he's the only one that is qualified to forgive our sin. And what other religion in the world does their God pay for their sin? What separates Christianity from every other religion in the world? The former atheist and Oxford professor C.S. Lewis said, it's simple. It's free forgiveness. It's called grace. In most religions in the world, you sacrifice to your God to pay for your sin. Jesus set himself apart from all other gods in history because he sacrificed himself to pay for our sin. C.S. Lewis would go on to say, Christianity is the only story where the hero dies for the villains. It's his ability to pay for our sin. Number five, his unrivaled resurrection. Say that with me. His all Jesus would have had to do to make Christianity another belief system like all of the ones I've mentioned before is one thing, stay dead. If he'd have just stayed dead, Christianity would have been a good way of thinking. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love God with all your heart. It would have been a great, great, great teaching. Be kind, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you. It would have been a great, great, great thought or belief system. But his resurrection was unrivaled. Many years ago when I was a young man, I came to Lafayette. I was 19 years old and I came to preach in Northside High School. They were having race rides between the blacks and the whites. And so my pastor told me I would go there and I would help them because I was a Mexican. I wasn't black or white. I could help them. That was true. That's what he said. They didn't let me in. So, so I found out that you could preach at the university. That at UL, it was USL. Then. How many remember when it was USL? Okay, and, and there is a bowling alley and a student center and there is a kind of a lake and there's a wall there with a sidewalk that goes in front of it and that was a free speech area. 
How many went to UL? How many know the area I'm talking about? And so I went and I would, I was kind of young. Honestly, I was kind of cocky. Had hair about down to here. I was wearing tight jardash jeans and Hawaiian shirts and flip-flops. Come to think of it, I had it going on. <laughs> Just thinking about it now. And I was staying there and I would preach a three-minute sermon. It was three minutes. So when class would let out, the kids would start, i go, there's some of you here, you're running around the strip, you're going over the cave, you're partying, and you're sleeping with your girlfriend, and boy, you need to give your life to Jesus. And then I'd start all over again for the next crowd. A guy came and stood there for about 10 minutes, and he goes, hey, you know you keep repeating yourself? He was a genius. One day I was doing that, and a man came, he was very dark. I could tell he wasn't, wasn't Hispanic or didn't, didn't appear to be Cajun, and I stepped down from speaking in my jeans and my flip-flops and my jardashes and my cool Hawaiian shirt and my long hair. I really did have it going on back in the day. <laughs> and he looks at me and he goes, you would be a good Muslim. I said, have you been listening to me? <laughs> he goes, no, you would be a very good Muslim. I said, I would be a terrible Muslim. He goes, no, you are bold. You are outspoken. You love the truth. You would be a good Muslim. He said, I want you to come tomorrow and meet me at the mosque. How many of you know there's a mosque across from UL? There is. So what he didn't know is my mentor, Josh McDowell, the leading Christian apologetist in the world, more than 50 million books in print, had six months before debated the leading Muslim theologian in the world. His name was Ahmad Didat, and he debated him in Durban, South Africa, in front of 6,000 people, primarily Muslim, and destroyed him in kindness and in truth. So I had memorized that, that debate. It was on something back then, listen real closely, called cassette tapes. Okay. That, that was before those little Frisbees called CDs. And so I had memorized it. I memorized it. So I said, good, I'm going to meet you tomorrow. So I went over to the mosque. And uh, Michelle, remember this? I had all my books. I had Ahmad Dudat's books. And, and I had all Josh's material. And, and we went. And, and, and I was so excited. We got there. And, and we started. And so he introduced me. And he was kind. And he said, okay, now it's time. I said, okay. He goes, we believe in the Quran. I said, well, I believe in the Bible. I said, okay. And we would went back and forth and back and forth. And one of the interesting things you need to know about the Muslim faith is they believe Jesus was a prophet from God. How many of you knew that? They just believed that the last prophet was Muhammad. So one of the points was, do prophets tell the truth or do they lie? And he said, prophets tell the truth. I said, then Jesus couldn't have been a prophet because he said he was the son of God on multiple occasions. And even at the end, they put that upon the cross, king of, uh, king of the Jews. He says he's the son of God. So finally, we got through all of the different small talk and whether it was the Bible or the Koran. And finally, he said, well, really, they're just the same. I said, no, they're, they're really not just the same. He said, oh, yes, they're the same. Let's compare them. I said, okay. He goes, Mohammed was a good man. And I said, 
He said, but Muhammad led his people. And I said, he said, but Muhammad lived for his people. And I said, Jesus lived for his people. And then he said, but Muhammad died for his people. And I said, and then I waited about that long. And I said, and? He said, and what? I said, Jesus rose again for his people. He said, Mohammed hasn't made it yet. (laughs) Now, whether you believe that or not, maybe you might believe like some have said yes, but the only people that claimed they saw him raised from the dead was his disciples. You see, his disciples had to say they saw him raised from the dead because if not, they would have left everything for a lie. Do you know that 11 of the 12 apostles died martyrs' deaths? Peter crucified upside down. They wanted to crucify him, and he said, I'm not worthy to be crucified like my Lord. So they crucified him upside down. The one apostle that was not martyred, John, who wrote the book of John, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, the book of Revelation, you know what they did to him? They boiled him in oil when that couldn't kill him. They exiled him to the Isle of Patmos, and there he wrote the book of Revelation. James, the actual brother of Jesus, was thrown off the top of a temple and beat with clubs till he died. Each one of them died horrific deaths, tortured and martyred because they said, we saw him come back from the dead. We touched him. We spoke with him. We ate with him. He is risen. Now let me ask you a question and remind you that it is Easter And if you lie in church on Easter Sunday, you go straight to hell. (laughs) So here's the question. How many of you have ever told a lie before? Those that didn't raise their hand just told you first. (laughs) We, we, We all have lied before. Let me ask you a question. How many of you would die for a lie if all you had to do was tell the truth and be free? If the disciples truly died and it was a lie, they died for a lie and they knew it was a lie. Wouldn't one of them have said, we made it up? Wouldn't at least one of them have said, it's not true? His unrivaled resurrection. Would you die for a lie if all you knew you had to do was tell the truth? And laugh. Number six, his appearances after his resurrection to others. We often overlook this fact. The writer of Corinthians tells us this. 1 Corinthians 15, 6. He also appeared to more than, to how many? Of his followers at, and listen to what he says. Most of them are still alive as I write this, and a few have passed away. What is the writer of Corinthians telling us? He's saying this, if you don't believe me, ask those hundreds that are still alive. I was debating some atheists in Sweden once in a classroom where the majority of students there are, are atheists, and, and, and one, one girl said to me, she said, yes, but, but let me tell you why that can't be true. I said, why? She said, they wanted him to come alive, so they were hallucinating. I said, 500 people were hallucinating. 
That's some good weed. (laughs) For 500 people to hallucinate and have the same hallucination, that'd be more of a miracle than the resurrection. What are the odds of that happening? Number seven, his appearance to his greatest enemy. Oh, I love this. Imagine, I don't know if y'all know this, but President Trump got arrested. Did y'all know that? Probably didn't know that. Imagine if when he goes to court to defend himself, the person whose testimony freed him was Hillary Clinton. (laughs) Just imagine how shocking that would be. You know what that would mean? That would mean that his greatest enemy would validate what he said. So if adverse testimony confirms that what you're saying is true, there's no greater evidence in a court of law. Six years, say that with me, six years. After the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, and that's the most conservative number. Some historians say eight, some say seven. I'm going to give you six. Six years after the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, Jesus appeared to his greatest enemy. You know who his greatest enemy was? Well, let me say a little background on him. When he was a young man, he saw and helped in the first killing of the first Christian, Stephen, who was stoned. Let me tell you what Old Testament stoning is. They, take, they dig a hole in the ground. They put you there. Your head sticks up about this much. They put a bag over your head. People pick up stones, and they come, and they hit you in the head with the stones until you die, and you don't know which one did it. So in order to do that, you would take off your, your coats. You would take off your bags, and a young man was watching over the bags and the coat while the first Christian martyr was being killed, Stephen. He then began a crusade, going into every Jewish church called synagogues, finding anyone who was trying to convert them to Christianity and tell them that Jesus was the Son of God and the King of the Jews. And he would have them arrested. He would have them beaten. He would have them put in prison and try to have them killed. And six years into his crusade, after the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, he's on a road to Damascus riding a horse. And all of a sudden, a bright light shines on him and knocks him off his high horse and says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Is it hard for you to kick against me? And Saul said, who are you? And he said, I'm Jesus, the one you're persecuting. We know that Saul as Paul. Do you know where Paul would spend the majority of the rest of his life? In prison. And you know what he was doing while he was in prison? Writing Romans, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, 1st and 2nd Timothy, 1st and 2nd Titus. All of these epistles he wrote to all the churches. Do you know who the greatest evangelist was in giving birth to churches all across Asia? The greatest enemy of Jesus. Jesus appeared to his greatest enemy six years after his death, burial, and resurrection. You said, but yeah, pastor, but that was 2,000 years ago. 
How many of you know just because something didn't happen last week doesn't mean it's not true? How many of you know just because there's not a TikTok doesn't mean it didn't happen? How, how many of you know that Plato existed even though it was a long time ago? How many of you know Napoleon existed even though it was a long time ago? How many of you know George Washington chopped down a cherry tree even though it was a long time ago? Just because you weren't there when it happened doesn't mean it didn't happen. I hate to disappoint you, but a lot of good stuff happened when you weren't there and it still happened. Jesus is still appearing and still raising people from the dead today. One of our dear friends, my pastor, Michelle and I's pastor for 30 years, his son had a calling to go to the Muslim world, and so he studied the Farsi language and went and lived in the Gaza Strip. That's the strip in between the Palestinian area and the Israeli area where the Palestinians are in an occupied territory. And do you know what his greatest advantage was in sharing Christ with Muslims that were being converted? Whenever he would talk to them and explain Christ to them, they would say, that's who's been appearing to me in visions and in dreams. Jesus is appearing to Muslims. But you say, Pastor, but yeah, that, that, that's a long ways away. But he's still resurrecting people here today. When Haley was dropped off, she was 19 years old. Her mother didn't know what to do with her. She was a gorgeous girl. It brought her more trouble than she knew what to do with. She was running drugs, sometimes from Central America all the way through Acadiana. Her mom, in desperation, knew that I'd worked with students like that. We had an internship program in Broussard, where our Broussard campus was, and she called and she said, would you take my daughter? She told me the circumstances. I said, well, we have a leadership school, and it's usually for kids that are leaders, but sure, we'll take her. And Jesus began to raise her from the dead. The word of God began to wash her mind. It began to bring back her purity that she lost. She not only got free from addiction, but she discovered her purpose and her identity as a child of God. From that time on, God has not only given her a husband and precious children, but he has raised her up to literally be the catalyst of leading an army to help women that were more broken and hurt than she was. She led a Bible study for hundreds of our women just this last year. Here's her speaking to our women. And here is the family that God has given her. And her mama who brought her is sitting right here today. Stand up right now because you know it's all true. Just like it happened. He's still raising people from the dead. Every week, you can be seated. Every week, we welcome those that are watching in jail and let them know that they're a part of this family. And let them know that, that, that we care about them. I love it when we do that because when people look around, you think, Pastor, I mean, 
this is a big church and it's fancy and got a big cross and there's a lot of rich white people to come here sometimes. Don't leave. We need rich white people to pay for this. Okay. And, and they go, you, th- these people look like they have their act together. Listen to me. Our Savior's church is not a palace for the perfect. It's a hospital for the hurting. And if you're jacked up and if you're messed up, this is the place for you. And look at me. If you're surprised to see some of the people that are here in church, they're just as surprised to see you. The reason we're in the jails today is because years ago, my wife was getting her hair cut, one of the best hair salons in the whole region. This man was well-known all across this region, traveled around teaching haircutting schools, had one of the best salons in Acadiana. But his addiction took over his life. The one he began at 15 and continued till he was 43 years old when he'd been arrested in four different parishes and methamphetamines were controlling his life. At 43, when he was arrested, they put him in the Lafayette Parish Jail, and he said when he walked in, they closed the door behind him. He said, this is it. I can't keep living this way. Chaplain Catherine, who's there now, he asked her for a Bible, and she brought him a Bible, and he began reading it. You saw just a few weeks ago, we took hundreds of Bibles, Joseph did in the team, the Lafayette Parish Jail. There, because of all the felonies he had, they put him in the pod with the felons, which is primarily murders. The second day he was there, he said, I'm going to start a Bible study. So he said, I didn't know anything about the Bible. So I would read a few verses and say, what do y'all think this means? The first Bible study, there was two. Before he moved from that pod to a pod where there was many Christians, there was only over 20 felons every day studying the Bible with him. When he got out of jail, after 23 months, he'd been sent. He would have to face charges here. Then he'd have to face charges in St. Martin Parish. Then he'd have to face Iberia Parish. And then he had to face charges in St. Landry Parish. And he said, it was like a traveling Bible study. Everywhere I went, it was like I was doing a traveling revival. And when he got out, he said, Pastor, we have to reach people in the jail. So we looked at investing in what it would take for us to do that. We partnered with the Lafayette Parish Jail, spent thousands of dollars that you gave. And today, we're doing that. In two weeks, we'll be broadcasting in St. Landry Parish each Sunday, and in three or four weeks in Iberia Parish, where you're paying for 28 TVs and a rewiring of all of their system so that they can hear the gospel every week coming right here from this church. You know why? Because of Jude Darbone being raised from the dead. He called me about four months ago, and he said, Pastor, you're not going to believe this. He said, the place that I'm cutting hair right up by Johnson, He said, they told me they would sell me the place if I could get a loan. He said, I lost everything because of drugs. He said, would you come over and pray over it? So I went over and looked at it. Before it was over, they ended up selling to him for a third less than they could have got. Person came to appraise it. He told them their story. They were so moved. They said, we're not charging you from the appraisal. We want to be a part of this. Let me show you a picture of Jude Darbone in his new salon. 
Jesus is still raising people from the dead. I remember when I first talked to this guy. Back then the church was small. We had about 150 or 200 people. And on Sunday night, everybody that didn't come to the church, I'd call that night by memory. Aren't you glad you weren't in the church then? And, and I called and, and he answered the phone. And he said, hello. I said, hey, this is Pastor Jacob. I ain't seen you in a while. He said, well, Pastor, you know, I'm kind of struggling. I've never been to church before I came to your church. And he would later tell me in order to get the courage to come to church, he would go to friends in Broussard and smoke weed to go to church. So if you're high and you had to get high to come here today, welcome home. We're waiting for you. He said, but I'm going to start coming back. And he started coming again. And we started meeting. A couple of months later, he showed up with this real beautiful girl. And I said, who's this? He said, what is my girlfriend? He said, we're living together. Now, most of you who've been here for very long know what my standard speech is when you say you're living together. I give you two months to move out break it off, get married, or I'll put you at the church. And we'll marry you for free. So the only reason you're not married is you don't want the blessings of God on your life or you're afraid to give her your last name. <laughs> Ladies, I'm giving you a big chance to clap right now. You might get a ring out of Easter in your basket. And so I looked at them and I said that. They left there and she looked at him and said, I'm not moving out and you're not touching me until we get married. He told me, I was so mad at you, Pastor Jacob. You know how mad I was. God began changing their lives. And her mom had been married five times, siblings from each different person. His dad had struggled with addiction all the course of his life. Family held together by Down syndrome sisters. He went through six or seven schools before he dropped out in ninth grade. When I met him, he had a few cars that were rent to own. If you didn't pay by Friday, the motor would die and they'd send a wrecker to pick it up. He's living in a trailer with a hole in it. Today, Don and Danielle Mendoza are the car dealers of the year of the state of Louisiana, have 19 dealerships all across the state, have Bible studies in every one of their places, and are a testimony of the miracle resurrection power of Jesus Christ. Daniel and Danielle, stand up, put their picture up here. He's still raising people from the dead. That's not it. Here's the final one. Muslims go to Mecca to meet God. Jews are required to go three times a year to Jerusalem to meet God. Other religions go to mountains or to monasteries to meet God. Our God has been seeking us ever since the garden when he said, Adam, Adam, where are you? And when Jesus came to seek and save that which was lost. You know, sometimes when you come to a place like this, you think, Pastor, like, 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 like I'm really... Like, I don't belong in a place like this. Like, like I'm not good. Like, like, there's stuff I've done like I'm not proud of. You know what I love about Jesus? 
The haunting truth that every one of us live with is, if you ever knew the worst thing that I've ever done or wanted to do, you would not want to know me. You would not want to like me. You surely wouldn't love me. But you know what's so amazing about Jesus? He's the only one who knows everything you've ever done, ever wanted to do, the things he stopped you from doing, the worst of what you've done, and he is still the one who loves you the most. And today, that same Jesus is here. And if you're messed up, let me tell you something about him. You know what he said? He said if he walked into a room and 99 people were doing good and one was really jacked up, guess who he'd talk to? To you. He leaves the 99 that are doing good. We had six children. People often ask Michelle and I, which one are your favorite children? I say, it's easy. Whichever one needs me the most. You know who God's favorite child is? Whichever one needs him the most. And today, look right here. He's looking for you. He wants to know you. He wants to lavish his love on you. He wants to show you how overwhelmingly crazy about you that he is. And Easter morning simply means that Jesus would rather die than live without you. That's what it means. I want to ask you the most important question of your whole life. You say, Pastor, what is that? The answer to this question determines where you spend eternity. Have you been born again? You say, Pastor, I've been christened, I've been baptized, I've joined the church. Isn't that good enough? That's a great start. But a man like a bishop or a big pastor came to Jesus once and said, good teacher, what do I have to do to inherit the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus said, unless you're born again, you won't see the kingdom of heaven. And unless you're born again, you won't enter into the kingdom of heaven. In other words, when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, they became separated from God. And every one of us have been since then. Jesus came to bridge that gap. And for the cross to be the bridge, for us to walk over to be back into relationship with God. Are you going to fail? Yeah, that's why Jesus paid for your sin, past, present, and future, because you're not one sin away from being separated from God. Every parent here understands what I'm saying. You have children. Sometimes they're wise children. Sometimes they're foolish children. But whether you like it or not, they're still your children. When you become a born-again child of God, you are God's child forever. Have you been born again? You say, Pastor, how can, I, how can I be born again? That sounds too good to be true. It's as easy as ABC. A, admit that you're a sinner. If you've got a problem with that, ask the person next to you. They'll help you. B, believe that Jesus Christ became your sin bearer and my sin bearer. He paid for our sins so we would never have to die with our sin. And C, look right here. Just confess Christ. I need you. I want to know you. I need you to be my bridge between me and God. And if that's what you want to do today, I'm going to give you an opportunity. It's just a simple prayer. You say, Pastor, can it be that easy? Remember when you walked up to the front of the aisle and they said, do you take this woman to be your lawful wedded wife, having a whole love to cherish, sick as hell, reach her part to death, do you part? You said, yeah, it was that easy. <laughs> Would you bow your head with me now? Heavenly Father,
I thank you that you, by your Holy Spirit, are here. You're here to lavish your love on people that you've been pursuing. You've been chasing them all of their lives to reveal your amazing love to them, your amazing goodness to them. Yes, you have. Today, I ask you to draw many to yourself so that they can be born again today and bridge the gap of their separation between them and God via the cross. With every head bowed, every eye closed, if you're here today and you say, Pastor, I believe in God and I believe in Jesus, but I've never prayed to be born again. I I know it's what I need. I want to know God. No one has to tell me that I've sinned and there's things I need to be forgiven of. I know that. I want shame and guilt and fear removed from my life. Pastor, I want to be born again. I want to know God. If that's the way you feel and you've never been born again, it only happens once, just like the day you were born. I'm going to count to three. And on the count of three, if that's you, if you say, Pastor, pray for me today. Today I want to be born again. I've never prayed to be born again then I'm going to ask you to raise your hand when I say that on the count of three. I'm the only one looking. Raise it high and then put it back down. I'm just going to pray for you right there at your seat. I'm not going to call you out. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm just going to pray for you right there. One, God brought you here. I know you think somebody invited you. They did. They did. I came to a meeting like this because a pretty girl promised me she'd kiss me if I came. I didn't get the kiss from her, but I did get one from God and it changed my life. Two, everything in your life has been leading up to this moment, the wreck you were supposed to be in, the time you were supposed to be caught, the time you were supposed all of those things with God pursuing you to let you know how much he loved you and wanted to know you. And now it's your time to be spiritually raised from the dead on Easter morning. What a treat. What a joy. If that's you and you're ready to be born again today, then when I say three, I want you to raise your hand. Three. If that's you, raise it high. Raise it high. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, 23, 24, 25, 26, 27, 28, 29, 30, 31, 32, 33, 34, 35, 36, 37. Okay, you can put your hands down. Last 10 seconds. Pastor, I didn't raise my hand with these 37, but I should have. My heart's about to beat out of my chest. I know this is what I need. I know this is what I need. I need God. I need God. I didn't raise my hand, but I should have. I'm asking this last. I'm going to give you five seconds. Raise your hand and wave at me. Wave it at me. I'm asking for you. Yes, yes, yes. 38, 38, 39. Yes, 40, 41, 42, 43. Okay. Now, for everyone that raised their hand, we're going to pray a prayer with you. Our whole church is right now, just as we do every weekend. And this is going to be your vows to be born again, to become spiritually alive, to know God. You are going to be raised from the spiritually dead after the end of this prayer. It's going to be your I do to Jesus. Your I surrender to Jesus. I want you to pray out loud with me. Dear Lord Jesus, I believe you're the Son of God. I believe that on the cross, you took my guilt, my sin, and my shame. And you died for me. 
I believe you faced hell for me so I would not have to go. And you rose from the dead to give me a place in heaven, a purpose on earth, and a relationship with your Father. Today, Lord Jesus, I turn away from sin to be born again. Today, God is my Father. Jesus is my Savior. And I'm born again in Jesus' name. Amen.